In the middle of our stuckness, at our worst moments, when it seems the darkest, God can break through and offers a new day, as he has been. This series is called All Things New, and it's echoing from Isaiah 48, verse 18 to 19, which says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? He says, I need you to change the way you think. I know you're very much stuck presently in the situation that you're in, but I'm calling you out to something new. And while you're still in the old, I want your mind to begin aiming for the new. We saw in last week's message that in this stage of our history, in this stage of our transition, we'll often be suffering from three things, from tiredness, from aloneness, and from a sense of disappointment. And yet Jesus comes into that very situation, as he did in Luke 24 with the Emmaus walkers. He comes to them and they're very disillusioned on what we know historically as the greatest day in creation, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet they're seeing things very differently. They're tired, they're alone, they're disappointed. But Jesus comes beside them and he offers an alternative. He brings himself, he brings his presence to get things straight, to get their minds sorted and their souls sorted. He gives them the presence of himself. He gives them the truth of scripture. He teaches them from the Old Testament about why these things had to happen. And then next they embrace themselves again in the Christian community. These three elements, Jesus' presence, the truth of scripture, and the community of God's people. These three things we must uh, embody in our souls again to wrap our lives around them because they become the stepping stones of our next steps forward. And so we see that from last week's message, we're getting ourselves ready to really take these new steps. And, and uh, next week, I want to talk into what those new steps might be. But before we do that, we need to ensure that we're not overcarrying the stuff of the past. We need to be sure we're carrying the right things in our soul and discarding that which doesn't belong there. Now, most of us would perk up at the idea of the promise of new things. We would all love to, to have an upgrade with our, our jobs, uh, with our lifestyle, with all these sorts of things. We all just love the idea of making progress. And yet it can be so hard for us to attain. And so often God's people feel like there's a promise there, but it's like it's the offer, but we just couldn't walk into it. Something stopped us along the way. And so today I want to talk into that sort of space because people these days are longing in their darkest moment for something new. Uh, a lot of... A, a, trending that happened before COVID has been accelerated, the frustration with life. And so the great resignation has become uh, an iconic moment where people have just said, this circuit breaker that's been provided, I'm using that to reframe my career, reframe my job, and so on. And it's happening in the Christian world as well in many different ways. But scripture, scripture is full of these upgrade moments. It's full of these moments where uh, God just seems to do an and suddenly moment where there's been a dark circumstance for a prolonged period of time. And then there's a, a sudden door opens to a, a massive upgrade. We see it in the life of the Emmaus walkers that we saw last week. But we can also see it throughout in the Old Testament with people like Abram who became Abraham in a single day. 25 years he'd been persevering. 25 years he'd been trying to learn the lessons. But then suddenly God comes to him before anything's changed circumstantially and says, I'm now redefining you. You're now Abraham not Abram. Abram meant to be father of a household. Abraham meant to be father of a nation. God declared it before it was, and within a year his son was born. And so we see these moments happen, happen with uh, David, King David, uh, as he was to become when he was 16 years old. He came from nowhere, complete obscurity, to slay Goliath and become a high profile part of the society he was in, and then eventually become the greatest king they've ever known. So these upgrades are available. 
and you too have an offer to grow in influence and impact. There's a lot at stake these days and God needs all of us to go forward in the way that we address our life, the way we address our communities and release the kingdom uh, agenda. And so we all need a new thing. We all need to be walking into this. But if I look through scripture front and back and you look for common elements in these upgrade experiences, these new days, the common element seems to be that of a new faith. We need to have a new form in our relationship with God to embrace the new life that he's leading us into. The life that we had before, the faith that we had before, will be insufficient for what's coming next. Because what's coming next will be a calling into something that we can't do in our own strength. Otherwise, why would God call us there? He calls us there to be with us in that space, to give us what we can't, to give what we can't give ourselves and put us in a situation where it's, it's a, something that only he can fulfill. To do that requires greater faith and the perseverance and the, the trials that come before that often position us to do that. So our new thing requires a new walk with God. A change of circumstance requires us to change our hearts as well. If not, we, tend to, we could be in that new situation and almost in some ways unravel it back to where we were before because our mind, our habits and our character hasn't evolved. But if you think about it, you think of every instance in scripture where someone seems to have received a massive upgrade. Have you once been able to find one where it didn't come uh, with challenge? There just always seems to be, they come into the new thing, but the new thing is full of incredible challenge, incredible fighting or overcoming, all these sorts of things. It's not an upgrade into heaven. It's an upgrade into the promised land. And the promised land is full of giants. It's, it's full of uh, enemies to overcome. Therefore, we need extra faith to go there because we're operating with God in a new way in heightened challenge as well as heightened fruit. And so our current challenges that we're going through right now, that many of us have experienced, or not only the previous two years, but even before that, we can be looking at them the wrong way. We can look at them as the constraint of our life rather than a catalyst for new growth that propels us into the new life. And this is part of the perception change that I think God's calling us to experience. So I'm doing something new, but I need you, while you're still in that old circumstance, to perceive things differently. Can you see where I'm leading you? Because if you can get an inkling into what that is, you'll understand that what you're going through right now is what's preparing you to embrace that situation. Have a look at what James says in the New Testament, in James 1 verse 2. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He's saying, let this trial that you go through, let it catalyze perseverance. Let it test your faith because that faith needs to be proven. It needs to be woven into you before you go into this upgraded experience because that new experience is gonna require more faith. And if I could pinpoint one reason why God's people aren't able to walk into their new place, and I take this directly from anecdotes and from scripture, you look at the example set. Why do people not manage to get into their new thing? It's because they haven't persevered in growing faith and character. They, they haven't allowed themselves to be readied and prepared and grown to be able to sustain that new thing. That's why the Hebrews went round the mountain for 40 years between Egypt and the promised land. They, had to, they weren't ready for the promised land, so they had to keep going round and round until faith in that nation became core of who they were. In the end, that initial generation had to die out and a new one come that would walk in with belief for this new day. 
And so what we find is that embracing the new requires us to let go of some of the old. If we're to have in our hands more than what we had before, if we're to have in our hearts and our minds and our habits more than what we currently have, it will require us to let go of something. Otherwise, where's it all going to fit? And so repentance in the true meaning of that word means I turn away, I let go of one way of thinking, one set of circumstances, one habit, and I turn and embrace something new. But to pick up the new, I need to first let go of the old. 1 Corinthians 5.17 talks about this dynamic. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. He's talking there about the need, the need for the old to be gone before the new can be materialized in our life. This is a true repentance illustration that he's using there. And so the preparation time that we're in, that comes before the new day, requires us to understand what do I need to leave behind? What do I need to let go of? So let me give you a few that uh, pop up often in scripture and often in our own lives as well. And maybe you can identify them in your life and perhaps the spirit is whispering to you right now that these are the things I need to let go of, therefore enabling me to walk into this new thing. The first one is what I will call grasping at life, grasping of life, grasping of the things of life, grasping at the ambition, grasping at the things that we believe we deserve grasping at the things that are just too hard for us to contemplate losing. It's hanging on white knuckled to parts of our life, parts that are valuable to us now, and not being prepared to allow God to get into that space. Have a look at what it says in Luke 9 from Jesus himself as he addresses this. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? You see, whatever we hold on to, whatever we grasp, what we're doing in a sense is, is saying, I'm hanging on to this, God, this isn't for you. I don't want your hands on this. Don't touch this. But what we're doing there is setting up a dynamic where the very best, the very greatest blessing that can be on that thing is the blessing that we can give it because our hands are all over it. To let it loose, to, as Jesus has said here, give our life to him means we're giving access for him to come in and bless that space and make of it what he can make of it, not the very best that we can make of it. And so grasping on of life is one of the major areas in which we, we prohibit ourselves from moving forward into the new thing. The second one is an obligation to the old life. Now this is New Testament 101. This is really saying that this, the sin habits, the mindsets, the addictions, the things that we say, this is a no-go zone for me, I can't overcome this, I've tried, I've failed, all those sorts of things. It's inevitable that this is going to be part of my life. The New Testament is crystal clear. It just calls it out and says, that's just not true. Paul says in, in Romans 8 that we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature. Our obligation is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. He precedes that with Romans 6 and Romans 7. If you look at what he says in Romans 6 verse 7, he says very clearly, anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. So he's saying this life that comes from this, this uh, presence of God in our life comes because that old person is dead. That old nature is dead. Why do we keep treating it like it has some sort of rights over our life? The Holy Spirit within us has all the power to overcome. So we need to declare what is dead as dead and leave it dead and stop trying to resurrect it and breathe life into it. Obligation to the old life. It needs to be discarded if we're to walk into the new thing 
that God has for us. Number three is the right to withhold forgiveness. You know, there's a whole plethora of issues that are addressed, particularly in the New Testament, of ways to uh, embrace holy living. But one of them that comes up frequently, and it's always in the top two or three, is this whole idea of forgiveness or releasing judgment. Jesus really did hone in on it. He, with laser-like focus, he would raise this constantly as an issue. He would say, "If you know, I've come to this world, I'm going to die in your place. Forgiveness will come from what I do. Uh, and, and if you want that forgiveness, then you've got to release that over other people as well. He says it very clearly, uh, for example, in Luke chapter 6. He says, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you won't be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. There just seems to be a blockage in our life that comes if we refuse to forgive someone, if we, with, uh, we hold on to the right to judge them, even if we're right. Just the fact that we own the right to judge them and won't let that go, it blocks the ability for God's grace to work freely through our life. It's an incredible principle and one that needs to be unzipped you know, in its own series of messages. But it's so profound that something we do can have an impact on what God does. Think about that. I wonder if God has someone that he is asking you to forgive, uh, a burden that you need to release, a judgment that needs to be let go of. Because this may well be one of the issues that's stopping you progressing into the new thing God has for you. Okay, not everything from the past needs to go. Obviously, everything from the old nature does, but not everything of who we are. God's made you who you are. He, he, you're beautifully and wonderfully made. He doesn't want less of you. He wants all of you. And so it's just that old nature, those parts that need to be discarded because he's made you into something quite incredible and he needs all of that to come into the future. And that's why our future actually has its seeds in the past. The seeds of what will become of your life lie in who he made you to be originally before it was broken and, and uh, the ramifications of sin got hold of that. You are still beautifully and wonderfully made. And so it's the seeds of our past that we bring with us. And understanding what seeds and what comes with us, this is vital to know because sometimes we think if we're in a new environment, a new situation, I'm not skilled, I haven't got the right information, and God goes, I'm not taking you there because you know the right stuff. I'm taking you there because you have the right stuff. You are who I need in that situation. We can gain information. We can grow skills. But this thing that he's made us into becoming is, is a beautiful thing made for a specific purpose that fits like a piece in a jigsaw perfectly where he wants us to be. So Paul hints at this in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the great love chapter that we love to talk about at weddings, but that's not what it was talking about. Have a look at what he says. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He's saying that our works, the things that we do, our accumulated wealth, our ambitions, all the other skills that we put in our resume, he's saying all of that's going to pass away. The only thing that remains is faith, hope, and love. He's talking about character. He's talking about the, the irreducible core of who you are. That's not going anywhere. And that's actually all that his heart and eye is upon when it comes to this new thing. It's not our portfolio of, of degrees and books that we've read that's going to qualify us to go into the new thing. It's who we have become in the process. And so it's the seeds of that that we need to take with us and not try to say, well, I'm so dead to self that there's none of me left at all. That's, that's a wrong interpretation of that scripture. God wants all of you, the holy and redeemed side of you, the perfected side of you, the character that he's deliberately woven into you. 
And so these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. Let's, let's frame it in some different ways. The first one, of course, is character. Your character will remain. The foundation of this new thing is built on the humility and the, and the faith and the endurance that you've, uh, that's gotten you through this trial period that we've been through. Secondly, the unique lessons. There are things that you've learnt that are specific. They're your lessons. They're your principles. They're the, they're, they're the little sayings that, you know, you could probably just fill a page with the core, um, you know, axioms of your life that you've picked up over the last few years, the, the, the core principles. You know, I, uh, once I became a, a Christian and then eventually ended up in full-time ministry, I was 40 years of age. There's a 20-year gap between a salvation experience and going into ministry. But then pretty quickly wrote half a dozen books and, and saw incredible blessing come from that. A lot of lives transformed. And people said, how did you so quickly learn uh, all that you did to put in those books? It's like they just came out of nowhere. Well, where they came from was that 20 years of trial and perseverance and learning the principles. And you've got the same sorts of things. There are seeds in you that can be multiplied and teased out to bless other people. Because ultimately, that's what this is all about. Multiplication. Maturity equals multiplication in the kingdom. So what has God sowed in you? What are these seeds that he's sowed in you? So there's our level of character. There's our unique lessons. And, and then thirdly, your unique personality. That unique person that is just you. There's no one like you. You're beautifully and wonderfully made. You don't need to change the personality that is you to walk into this thing that God has for you. You don't have to look like someone else or act like someone else. You just need to be you. Always be present as yourself and Christ in you who brings the hope of glory. Because you can only genuinely and always consistently be who you are. And that's who needs to come out for this next season in your life. Now, the interesting facet about all this, these, these become something of a seed. These become like the core, as I said, the irreducible core of who you are. Think of them as a seed. And that seed, when it's planted in the ground, if you understand horticulture, once that seed comes to the ground, it, a, a sprout comes out called the radical. It's not spelt the way we spell the radical person. It's the radical. It's a, it's a shoot that comes out. And what that shoot is, it takes the embodiment of those distilled elements of your life, your character, the lessons you've learned and your personality, and that shoots out to a new root and all that the new tree becomes comes from that radical root. And so that seed is all that really matters right now. And Jesus talked about this seed when he talked about his own life and, and how he need to, needed to die to that. He says in John chapter 12, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, as I've said, this is the point. More seeds, more fruitfulness, expansion of the kingdom, advancing this flame front of what the Christian ethic and lifestyle looks like in our society that's, that's frayed at the edges these days. Multiplication. And, but what he's saying there is that seed that is your life needs to fall to the ground and in some ways be surrendered to him and die. To say this person that I am, all that I am, all that I have and all that I know, I surrender it to you, Lord. I die to self. I give it to you. I give you that seed and allow it to fall to the ground, make it something great or make it something small. It's irrelevant to me. It's yours. And this moment of surrender is one of the most powerful uh, recurring moments in the Christian life. It comes, it comes around seasonally where we need to do it again and again as we accumulate more experience. He says, will you now give that life to me? And so as we stand at the gate of this new thing, he calls us again, will you 
surrender your life to me again now that there's so much more of it. So many times, and, and I was guilty of it too as a young adult, you know, you make grandiose promises to God, whatever it takes, you know, whatever it costs, do with me whatever to, to fulfill your will. And as you grow older, those promises and those big commitments become less and less frequent as we get more and more accumulated possessions and things to lose. We, we become much more wary about making those promises. But he comes incrementally and says, will you surrender now that you have all that that is who you are and this life that you've built? Because maturity in the Christian life is all about replication. And to replicate, the seed must fall to the ground and come into a new environment and spread something brand new. And so wherever God is going to be calling your life, it's going to require more faith, new faith, based on the seeds of who you have become up to this point. And so all we can really be accountable for is to do what God asks us to do. If he asks us to surrender, then we surrender. To forgive, we forgive. To sacrifice, then we sacrifice. So I wonder what God's asking you to do today. Are there things in your past that need to be kept in the past, left behind and die, so that you can pick up something new? Are there seeds of your life that you've now formed through your tribulation that are going to become the seeds of this new thing that God's doing in your life? Allow him to speak to you. Allow him to talk to you and, and take you through a process of preparing you for this new thing. And I'll be praying this week that all God's people will have the faith, the new faith to go where he calls all of us to be. Bless you now. I'll see you again next time.